When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, GM Cook, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Doing great, doing great. Thanks for joining us. We're going to get started in about one minute, and then you know I'm going to introduce you to everyone, and yeah, we can get started with this, uh, this crazy day here. Yeah, lots to talk about. Um, fun fact before we get started, you know, you call me Cook. This is a common thing I've noticed since spaces took off. Uh, it's kook. It's like a surf term. Pronunciation kook. Everybody gets it wrong. I apologize for that. You know what's actually funny too? I heard this exact conversation in a space with you last week, and you said just that, and I can't believe I forgot that. So I, I apologize for that. Oh man, it's funny. Like I had a really good shit post tweet about it, so I don't mind the mispronunciation. As long as you didn't say cuck. Yeah, as long as you don't say cuck, it's okay. <laughs> so it's uh. Pre-beginner surfer is what Google's saying. Yeah, it's sort of like a, it's an insult, but it's also like a term of endearment if you use it right in surf culture. But yeah, it means like a noob or like an idiot beginner. Uh, noob would be like the tech um, equivalent, I think. So, you know, I think actually, guys, this is probably a, a great time to get started. So, yeah, so... So we have Kook here from from Kook Capital, and yeah, I wanted to to thank him for joining us. For for those of you that aren't aware, he is he's very much involved in the space. He is on Twitter Spaces, you know, kind of always speaking about what's going on, giving some great insight on the market. Uh, and you know, I, I've learned a lot about Soul NFTs from him as well. So definitely glad we could have him on the stage. If if you're not following him already, definitely give him a follow and you know tune into some of his other spaces. He's he's all over Twitter talking about things. So so Kook, how how are you today? Thanks again for joining us. Hey, yeah, no problem. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm doing all right. You know what? I have a certain philosophy on the type of market we're in. Uh, and I'm a certain type of market participant. So, yeah, I know maybe a lot of people's reactions would be pretty frantic today. And, you know, all the talk is about, like, prices plummeting and exchanges buying each other. But I'm chilling, man. No, I'm doing great. Yeah, you know, all things considered, uh, it's it's good to hear that, you know, we're, we're doing great. We're staying positive in, in, in these times. So, yeah, no, for sure. So I think you know, a good place for us to start. And I think it's also a good reminder for everyone during these times. So Kook, why, how did you get into crypto and, and why did you get into crypto? I think, especially nowadays, this can serve as a good reminder for us all to remember why, why we're here in the first place. Okay, uh, I'll tell you, speed me along or tell me to shut up if this gets too rambly, but here's my story. So I'm Canadian, I'm 37, uh, I live in Portugal. I spent 15 years after graduating business school working in uh, progressive roles in consulting and finance and asset management. And so most of my career, I was at uh, the biggest bank in Canada in the asset management division uh, in the CFO office. By the end, 
I was a director doing like strategy and presentations and uh, due diligence and acquisition type work. I did a lot of stuff over this 15 year career though. Uh, and through that whole time, like working in legacy financial markets and asset management, I had like a super deep interest in financial markets. And so, you know, I was all, I was actually a real vision subscriber hilariously enough. I think I canceled it like last year, but, uh, I love tech investing, right? I've always been, I grew up a video game nerd slash like skateboarder. Um, that's probably why I'm a shit poster, but you know, I was always intensely interested in, in equity markets and specifically tech. Uh, I was a little too young to get smoked in the dot com crash, so I figured I'd do it in NFTs. Joking, but kind of happened. <laughs> um, but no, like okay, when Bitcoin came out, I started my career in finance in downtown Toronto uh, in two thousand seven in September, and so it was right before the global financial crisis. Uh, and the first two or three years at the firm I was at, like they're firing the mid and senior levels like left and right. Cause I was specifically focused on financial institutions at the firm I was at. And uh, yeah, I was super scared. It was crazy to work through that. Like I didn't really realize at the time they're not going to fire like, you know, the guy who gets paid nothing and does all the work sort of the model they had. But uh, yeah, that was like the genesis of my career. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Bitcoin comes around. I heard about it really early. Um, I don't think I couldn't sell myself on the idea that this like human construct would be accepted. Like, we would all all agree this thing had value. I still like I was I had an account on Mt. Gox. I never bought any, but I was watching early. Uh, and again, like still moving through my IRL career. I don't know how old I would have been, like twenty two or something. Uh, and anyways, when Ethereum came around, I heard about it pretty early, uh, and I read the papers. And I didn't fully understand it, but I kind of got the vision of like this decentralized economy slash platform slash world computer thing. Like loosely, I wasn't like, oh yeah, I understand this. I couldn't go full commit, but I started buying Ethereum and my very basic thesis was was essentially like, well, if these nerds are right, I'm not going to let them all get rich and I don't have a piece of it. So I'll just buy Ethereum and like figure it out later. So I stockpiled FOMO. Ethereum. Yeah, sorry. What's up, Jace? Uh, FOMO got you. Oh yeah, FOMO. Yeah, I mean, it was it was FOMO, I guess. But, like, I wasn't going hard at it. And I wasn't chasing anything because the prices weren't moving too much. Like, this is when Ethereum was around, like, $100 Canadian to, like, 200 And I was buying it. <clears throat> didn't pay attention to it. Um, I traded through the, like, the shitcoin era, 2017, 18, I guess. Uh, had some big, hilarious wins. Uh, I mean, my most hilarious win, it was later. But it, I made a lot of money on a coin called Cumrocket. For the people in here, that's real. It's true. It's hilarious. That's crypto for you. But yeah, I mean, when the I'm not a trader, so I didn't love trading. I never did in equity markets either. I like to build up conviction, fundamental cases. I like to try to identify like new technologies, whatever. I was never amazing at it, but that's what Real Vision tries to do, uh, and that's what I tried to do. It wasn't because of Real Vision. I think they got their idea from me, but um, I wasn't a good trader, right? Like crypto became the synthetic market. The coins, I mean that were based on amazing technology that can probably change the world is how I viewed it. But at this point, it's just a synthetic market built for people to PVP each other. And I'm not going to win because I'm not good at drawing lines on charts. So I kind of like put all my crypto on a key and put it away in after the crypto crash. I had it all in Ethereum, moved it from shitcoins all back to ETH, had a bunch of ETH, put it on a key. And I didn't think about crypto for like three or four years. Um, and I heard about NFTs after the apes minted. Uh, just missed the apes. And then I started to get involved. And I think like 
at first I was an investor on Ethereum and there was this qualitative aspect to NFTs. Like this is before businesses were being built, but you were kind of seeing like what could be possible. But like the, the new thing for real vision, this is a cool place to talk about this, but like for me, the cool thing was this new qualitative like interaction layer. Like there's this whole community aspect that forms. There's an interaction layer between founders and community members it, it, like the speed at which projects and the industry moves is like hyperspeed. And then there's all new types of like interaction and marketing and communication. And so, I don't know, I got drawn into the space pretty quick uh, and it's been pretty fun. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I just smoked a big joint cause that's part of the culture too. So I had to clear my throat, but yeah, hopefully that takes you through it, you know? And then I ended up in NFTs as an investor and uh, in just intensely interested in like the what i'll call like social phenomenons that are happening uh and cool types of brands being built and i started tweeting about things as i saw them uh you know most of it's satire jokes shit posting you'd call it uh yeah and i started to get a lot of followers so and now here we are talking to real vision smoking a joint out the window in portugal that's that's a, that's a great story, Kook. I really uh, appreciate you kind of rolling through all of that for us. And and you know, it, it's it's a very interesting concept. You know, a lot of us, especially in this space, a lot of us aren't very good traders, and it's we don't have the history of this market to really actually be good traders. So I, I really enjoy what you what you said there. So uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And you're absolutely right. A lot of this culture is is memes it's shit posting it's the vibes so that that is an important thing to to always kind of keep in keep in mind so you know just can i just say a point on that on you know i obviously of I course. went out of my way like i went out of my way during that story to kind of like say i just smoked a joint and like say i'm a shit poster and you know that's on purpose because i think like if i guess at the real vision audience like they're not crypto natives they have very little exposure to crypto probably in general maybe they they have some they own some but they're not on Twitter, like interacting with communities and like crypto culture is deep at this point. Like it's a rabbit hole. So that's my way of sort of like offering you a light introduction to what it looks like. Yeah, no, I appreciate that too. Cause I, I share a lot of uh, similarities with your background. My career started uh, on Bay street, downtown Toronto as well. But I since moved away from, you know, the whole financial industry a long time ago and became, you know, a builder in the tech space. So, you know, for me, when I got into, obviously there was a lot of hype about number go up and, you know, you can get some pretty good gains on investing on some of these things. But I think what really hooked me was just the innovation, right? It was Ethereum that really got me in. Uh, a lot of the the bankless guys really did a good job of like explaining things at that early stage. But yeah, for me, it was a, a lot about being being able to innovate, being able to build, and a new way to kind of you know create businesses and use cases uh, for different products, and coming to Real Vision, of course, there's a lot of you know financial minds. We have a great Discord. You know, you see people. There's like a um, a TA channel where people are drawing charts and doing all those things. Like you said, you have no idea how to do, it, and I don't either. Um, but we see a a pretty good um, breath in terms of people's backgrounds like we do have a lot of finance people but you know we have this uh one guy who's like a trucker and he's been tweeting a lot and sharing a lot of insights about seeing like supply chain and macro stuff that connects to a lot of you know what Raul talks about and then he ties it into nfts and all that but 
uh, I, I definitely appreciate that because, yeah, I don't come from that finance, you know, TA background, but um, the building side and the culture side and the meme side. And I think that's huge as well. So great point about that. Yeah, no. And, and I think that's I mean, while us that are deep in NFT Twitter, crypto Twitter, we do understand that. I think the casual investors in crypto, because we definitely have a lot of those, that's something that they might not get, right? They don't get the memes all the time. They don't get the GMs that we do every morning. So it, it is, I think it's important if you're going to get into this space, at the very least, to understand that because it, it can help, you know, memes kind of, it, they're currency in a way. They kind of guide the culture. They kind of let us know what's going on. They're, they're a little bit of news for us. It's true. Like, you know, I don't, it's not like I think it's essential to come and get a Twitter account and, you know, start understanding memes and getting really deep into crypto if you want to participate. But like the reason I think it's important is, like you said, it's culture. Like it does lead the space. Um, so at least having like some familiarity with the culture that's leading the space, like it's become important, right? When it was when crypto was based around PVP trading and it was this synthetic market. And it was all technicals, uh, you know, a big part of the culture. I'd, I'd argue it was way more toxic back then. And there's a lot more diversity now. But the same or similar culture still existed, but it didn't lead technology or profits or brand building. Now you're seeing much different types of businesses being created in the same space, but like enabled through Web3 technology. You're seeing all these new entrants and the same culture is still kind of guiding the space in a different way. It's becoming friendlier, but yeah, I think marketing's changing. I think customer acquisition's changing. Distribution's changing. Like, it's all changing quick. I don't know what it's changing to, but, you know, you can watch the ships around you if you're in the space. No, ab absolutely. And, you know, this kind of, you just, you know, sparked a, uh, a thought in my mind of, you know, the sappy seals and their kind of shit posting as a service joke, which I, I just find absolutely hilarious. But that's exactly kind of, you know, what it is. So, yeah, no, for sure. So, so Kook, I want to ask you, you know, kind of specifically into the NFTs. So, you know, you got into NFTs after the, the Bay C, Board Ape, Yacht Club, uh, Mint. So how did you find your way into, into Soul? you know, from going from ETH? You know, what made you decide, like, hey, I'm going to buy some Soul NFTs? Yeah, really interesting question. So, okay, when I got into NFTs and I started to look at them and I was developing my like my investment thesis early, it was like, okay, I miss the apes. They're probably going to be a part of history. Um, you know, what can I get now? There were maybe 40 ETH. And so I had this decision to make with the crypto I put away. Can I buy like one or two apes if I wait for the right prices or can I buy like historical something else? And so I went to art. Um, generative art, uh, art blocks, like being the first big curation house on ETH that had this thesis that like the first series of art blocks, if this stuff works and generative arts respected and, you know, NFTs blow up into this huge thing, like I thought they would, maybe art blocks series zero are looked at like Renaissance paintings. And so, you know, that was the first big bet I made, but I kept some ETH aside. And that was like, you know, I buy the art, I put it away for 10 years uh, I guess like what I'm saying is I faded the apes and I bought art. So I'm kind of an idiot, like for everyone listening, uh, I'm wrong so far, <clears throat> but anyways, I kept a bag. That's when I started getting into communities and I was in this community, like that had all this mystery around it called 24 PX. And at the, at the early days of NFTs, it was all like 
closed groups and alpha chats and like who you know and that kind of thing. And so I had no interest. Like I was, like I said, I didn't really love Bitcoin and I loved the value proposition of Ethereum. And then the extension of that was liking, you know, the potential for the industry now that NFT technology is introduced. But I didn't have any designs or ideas to move to another chain because I didn't think it was necessary. And even now I'm not convinced it is necessary to be clear. Like I have a D God that's different. It's a brand, it's a business thing. Um, but yeah, basically I went to Seoul as an investor, um, based on some tips from some guys I knew and I was in and out of some soul projects early. And then I found D gods like before they minted. And I really liked the idea. And I met the guy who runs it, Frank, who for me, I got like three people I think are the top minds in web three right now. Uh, and Frank's one of them. And so, yeah, I ended up buying a bunch of D gods. It was one of the big investments, like one of the first big investments I made after the art. Um, and that kind of combined with whatever I was tweeting about. I didn't have a plan. There's no designs here. I just like the business and I wanted to own the NFTs. Um, you know, and I was tweeting about them. And I kind of became like well-known in the D-Gods community. I was very polarizing. Um, but yeah, I guess that's sort of my journey to Seoul and why I was there. And then when I grew in D-Gods, just through things like this, like, you know, I'm giving my opinions, I'm talking I had people coming to me for advice. I helped some projects with strategy, like this kind of thing. My consulting background made me pretty well suited for it. Uh, yeah, I've done a few interesting things through. Like, I did a I did a talk to the uh, partner innovation team globally at Accenture on NFTs and Web three. I did a couple like keynote speeches in Portugal. Like, I just I don't know. I've bumped into people or gotten weird DMs. I mean, I'm talking here, but yeah, the genesis of it is just I moved to Seoul ended up buying D gods, uh, kept shit posting through all of it. And people kept following me on Twitter. I love that. So, you know, you stayed consistent, you kind of stayed true to what you, what you liked and your kind of, you know, ideas and, and you grew from there. That's, that's a great story. Um, so, you know, and we do have a few projects on the stage as well that I do definitely want to go to in a bit. Uh, so Project 369, who we have on stage, is actually a project that was going to launch on Seoul. And then, you know, kind of in the 11th hour, so to speak, they, they switched up and, and moved over to, to Cardano, uh, which we'll definitely discuss with them in a bit. But, you know, Kook, I want to talk to you because, you know, Seoul has been in the, you know, kind of at the front of our attention, uh, all over the headlines, you know, in particular with this FTX Binance stuff. And, you know, even before then, the 0% royalty stuff. So kind of with that in mind, what do you, I, I guess this is kind of a general or too, maybe too broad of a question, but where do you see the future of Solana in terms of, of the chain? And then I guess, you know, further NFTs in general. Okay, honestly, I'm going to give you the real answer here. Like, I have nothing to shill. I think it's pretty bleak, man. Like, it's a beautiful technology. And I think it's been, I mean, the powers that be have done everything possible to kind of like, ruin its chance. Uh, you, I mean, you mentioned royalties. If you follow me, I had a lot to say on both Frank's move to 0% at D Gods, and then the Magic Eden move that followed it. Uh, and Magic Eden was part of the consortium of investors that gave 7 million to Dust Labs. So like, I, I don't know, it looks pretty easy to me to figure out what was going on at the time, but that's not the problem I have because they're just obsessed with like eliminating competition. Magic Eden was losing, tra losing trading volume to like all these other marketplaces and people were OTCing D gods, 
but I mean, the tone it set for the rest of projects was, okay, royalties are going away. Your business is gone now. You can't just, you know, pull a business model out from under people. Uh, what I'm getting to is everything happening on the chain looked really amateur to me. Like, and it has for a long time. Before Magic Eden did the royalties move that they're now backtracking on, they did the exact opposite where to enforce, enforce royalties, they were going to implement this tool called MetaShield. And it was going to blur your NFT on chain somehow. I'm not technical enough to know how to do it. But if you traded at OTC somehow through a tool, there's lots available. Uh, they had a tool that would allow creators to blur the NFT and then block the holder from access to whatever it grants you. Um, you know, they put that out there. They dealt with a week of backlash and then they like 180 on it. So I, it's just like the decisions that get made on this chain by powers that really do like push and pull the chain in every direction. It's, it's looked amateur for a while. I don't think that they're, they're considering all the implications of the decisions they make. I don't think they, I don't think they talk with like a consortium group on the chain. Like I'm just not sure what's happening. And so before we even get to what's happened in the market and FTX and Binance, the chain looked bad to me for a while as a place to do business. It's like, if you're picking an economy to enter and do business and everything from security to sourcing users to their experience to output to whatever it is like Seoul looks like the Bangladesh economy to me and Ethereum is the United States. And so, you know, who's going to Bangladesh and you're price agnostic because gas fees are coming down, like scaling solutions are going to fix that. It's already happening. So, you know, the speed, all this stuff, their, their advantage was a head start and a really good product. And I think they may have snatched like defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, like it, I, I look at it right now, it's Betamax and Ethereum's VHS. Very interesting analogy. I, I mean, I can't say I disagree, to be honest with you. So that actually is a perfect segue into, I guess, Project 369. You know, you guys were were considering about to launch on Seoul. And, you know, kind of during this whole conversation, you guys, you know, saw something that you didn't like and you decided to to switch up yourself. So, you know, thanks. Thank you guys, you know, Mudang and, and Kokoro for, for joining us on stage here. Can you can you guys tell me about, you know, that moment where you guys made that decision to switch over from Seoul and, and go into a new chain and kind of what your thought process was behind that? Yeah. Um, honestly, uh, first and foremost, thank you for having us here and you, Kook, as well. Uh, it's awesome to hear your analogies. Really love it. Um, it really is uh, it, exactly what you're saying. Um, for us, the royalties problem on Solana was kind of a blessing in disguise. Uh, and it is a problem over there. And um, Magic Eden was hitting a lot of oversaturation um, on their launch pad, um, even celebrity back projects like Iron Pigeons and community back projects like Rotten Eggs were dying within 24 hours from Mint. And that's probably goes, you know, those go hand in hand with the royalty issue that was coinciding during those launch, during those launches. Um, there's also, there was a huge lack of support from projects being launch, launch padded example is some cases they were getting a single shout out. Um, and I saw Kook giving like, you know, some sad faces about our switch and everything. And that's much obliged and appreciated as well, because it's actually quite sad that we ended up switching chains. Um, we, we actually were looking for a middle ground solution for royalties and security issue. 
that's been going on before this even became a problem. If you go back in our feed, that's how long we've been building before Magic Eden was really having this talked as an issue. With our project, we're actually aiming to be a, a decentralized museum where the holders will decide the future of the um, like of the artists and mint price, and we we would be displaying the highest secondary sell of each collection to shift the focus from floor. So it's first, so it's first thing that people see. Like so, how we would do that is fifty one percent of our sales of royalties will be set aside to support the floor if it drops below uh, mint price until staking is released. And then will be used for token burning, making sure the project is majority decentralized and there is an incentive to hold. And our, what we were trying to accomplish with Magic Eden and the loss of royalties was like taken away from us. And like I said, a blessing in disguise because it helped us so that we didn't launch into how Alex was calling it a capitulation event. Um, just because something doesn't sell out or wasn't successful in a capitulation event doesn't mean it was a good vision. And it's like what Kook said, like, this is a real, like, we feel, we feel like we're visionaries. That's the name of our first collection is visionaries. So it's like, it's like, boom, we're on real vision, visionaries, everything that's going on. Um, so it just, we, it, our vision didn't coincide. We didn't want to, you know, we want to be here for the long run. And Magic Eden was not um, harboring our vision for us. And we came straight over to Cardano. And man, you were probably the very first person we spoke to, Gold Member. You and two other people in a group. And I jumped in there during that, that time. And I jumped in there and I... I literally went on a rant and rampage to you and towards you about everything, gold member. And you were like, you're like, yeah, hey, we love, uh, we were very open over here in Cardano and you you hooked us up where to go and talk to JPEG. And it has been, a, it has been uh, amazing over here uh, for the amount of progression that, you know, for how ready Cardano has been to receive the lack of preparedness that has been over on Solana. Appreciate, appreciate that, Kokoro. And, you know, thank you for, for, you know, giving us some insight on that. And you know what, that brings up a great point. Like there are so many opportunities throughout this time, you know, one, one, you know, one man's trash is another's treasure, so to speak. So I think it's important to always kind of keep in mind, keep your eyes open for those opportunities, especially in these, this ever-changing market. And, you know, speaking of, and I definitely wanted to mention this because I've, I've been hearing him you know, a couple, I think one or two times I've met, I've heard him mention this on a space and, you know, we're talking about, you know, kind of adapting and making changes to the market and, you know, switching over from, from chains, you know, Frank from the, the founder of D gods and, and Utes has mentioned on a space before that he might be considering moving 
over to to ETH. I don't know if that's a little tongue in cheek or, you know, he might be, you know, speaking out the shit posting. But uh, but Kook, I wanted to kind of ask you what your thoughts on on that potential might be, if you think that's a good idea. I mean, I know Frank is, you know, very he's a very ambitious person. I agree with you. I think he is one of the top founders in this space across all chains. And I think people really do look to him as a as a thought leader in this space. I don't like to use the word influencer. But yeah, I, I kind of wanted to see what your your thoughts on that were if you think that's you know a good idea you know what do you, what do you think about that yeah man i mean that's a hard question uh i'll say okay i think he's one of the one of the top minds and i think he's got the best ideas or some of the best ideas uh and he obviously like drives the direction of the space he's not without his weaknesses you know like he's a young kid i shouldn't call him a kid but you know like he's a young guy and i mean you know, he's emotional, you know, he, he built this crazy brand, he did it because he's passionate. But, you know, sometimes now, he's got a big brand now, it's a big business, and there's a lot of stakeholders. Um, you know, this is too in the weeds for probably a lot of the listeners, but he got dragged into like a mudslinging battle two days ago with this guy who calls himself the biggest influencer in the space like 100 times a day. But he's a really big, well known guy, he fights pretty dirty, he's really like charismatic entertainer. Uh, and he said some stuff to rile Frank up and, you know, he got under his skin. Frank did some stuff that made the project look bad. Uh, so, you know, today he was on spaces. I was asleep. I didn't hear uh, exactly what he said, but, you know, I was on other spaces and I know he had mentioned, I don't know how serious he is about like the potential of moving to eat. Do I think it's a good idea? I, I'm not totally sure. I think I try to look at these projects. I mean, A, Technically, it, it wouldn't make a difference because it's not some high transaction volume project. Like they don't, they're not on soul for any reason. Uh, there's no reason they can't be on ETH. You know, maybe it's more prestigious. There'd be reasons that it would be a good idea. But I don't know. I would like to see a world where it doesn't matter, where a project can pick a chain to launch on and then they're valued independently as a business. But like we're not there. We're not even close to that. So. Yeah, with that said, I mean, I think they survive on Solana. I think that D-Gods has, like, you know, transcended at least a bit the, the like, weight of Sol NFTs now. It'll still be the top project when this settles. And if Sol NFTs come back, it'll be the top project, too. I think it can exist if most of the rest of the NFTs go away on Sol. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what would I do? I don't know how you technically do it, but why wouldn't you want to be beside the mutant apes? You know, it makes sense. They don't have a game. They don't have a, like some product coming out that needs soul. They don't get support from soul. So yeah, I'd be, I'd be considering all options if I was him and ETH is a pretty good one. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it, it is a difficult question for sure. I, I think if there is a way, you know, it, it definitely doesn't hurt ETH. Is, I always, I call ETH the Nike of, of NFTs, but uh, I, I think it, it's an interesting conversation to have, especially because I know there are projects from, you know, other chains, we have one on stage here that, that have, have actually done that. So, you know, I, I think in my personal opinion, I think they're going to do it. I, I, you know, that's just, that's just the sentiment. I think it makes sense in the long run. I think it, it will help them overall. And just with all the bleak and uncertainty going on in Seoul, I think, you know, move over to a chain that has their, their stuff figured out and, and it, it, it could help them, I think. And I think there's also a lot of people that are on ETH that don't play on Seoul that would love the opportunity to, to buy some of Frank's uh, projects and just buy into to Frank and that ecosystem as a whole. So yeah, I, I think it'll happen. I think it would be a good idea, but you know, 
I think I think Frank has ultimately knows his brand better than than I, I ever would. So I, I would trust his his uh, opinion on that or that he's at least kind of speaking to and has the right circle around him to help him make those decisions. Um, so so Project 369, why don't you guys tell us a little bit more about, you know, who you guys are, what you're. You know, I know you briefly touched on what your experience on Cardano has been, um, but can you tell us a little bit more? Why did you choose Cardano over ETH? Yeah, I'll I'll send that one over to a co-founder, developer Mudang for Project Three Six Nine. Um, yeah, the answer is pretty simple. The biggest thing that we were finding when we decided to chain in the first place was how developer friendly it was. Um, I've got a background in C++ and have been outside of programming for a while. And when I saw crypto and what was going on, I was kind of assessing what was the easiest space to learn on. And at the time, for me personally, I found it was Solana. Um, the other downside to chains like Ethereum was just simply the gas cost. And from being a user on Ethereum where I was trying to engage and interact with NFT projects, um, I personally found them unusable unless they were a buy and hold um, proposition. So um, things like uh, the Board Ape Yacht Club and the Mutant Apes were really good um, value purchases. But unless you could uh, grow your products to get to that stage, um, I don't see the longevity of projects with high gas fees. Um, but that is probably going to get better over time with uh, how they're planning to reduce the gas fees. We're also looking at projects, uh, chains like Polygon, um, but we couldn't really find a good way to enter the market. Um, Kook, you got a question? No, I was just putting up my hand uh, okay. if there was a segue to say, yeah, scaling solutions. So it sounded like you were going to talk about them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I like the idea of their roll-ups and their... Um, uh, chains like Polygon, I think that would probably be where most of the market ends up slowly shifting to. And there seems to be a huge adoption like by companies like Disney and so on. But that definitely does seem the future of where they want to go with their things. Um, in terms of the project in general, uh, me and Kokoro have been kind of in the crypto space for the last few years. And as soon as the bear market hit, um, we kind of went, well, let's use this time productively and look at uh, if we could build our own projects. We started spinning up ideas of things that we liked with projects and things that we didn't like. Um, the biggest thing that we found was there was a lot of projects that were releasing um, that would easily like fall in the security bracket. And we were also seeing projects that were releasing that wouldn't fall into that bracket. So things like free mints and those kind of projects. And we thought, well, we'll try to hit that middle ground solution of releasing a product where it's not a full-blown security, where you're giving us money for a product. And at the same time, we're not giving something out for free, which has no value. Um, we're trying to find a middle ground on that product itself. We're also wanting to shift the narrative uh, with the way that projects work, where we don't want it to be so centralized on the market picking winners and losers. We want to see if we can build a project where the community is the one that decides the winners and losers. Not all these like big platforms and exchanges that uh, curate the market. Um, so yeah, we're, we're trying to go in that direction. Um, that's the general geist of what we're trying to do. Families have a lot going on. 
Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that little breakdown and, and insight into your decision. So, you know, speaking of kind of, you know, helping people kind of get into, into Web3, promoting your brand and just, you know, providing, you know, information and just and knowledge, you know, we do have Kook on, on the stage and, and Kook is the founder of, of Kook Capital. So, you know, Kook, I think we have a lot of people, you know, within the Real Vision audience and, and our members as well that could definitely benefit from some of this insight and, you know, kind of this knowledge that, that you guys provide. So can you tell us a little bit about what Kook Capital does and, you know, how you, you know, help the Web3 space and, you know, people trying to, you know, make projects or just, you know, navigate throughout this space? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I wasn't planning on like plugging myself at all, but I can talk about that a little bit. Uh, right now, I don't do too much. I stopped accepting clients. But uh, yeah, what I designed it to be, it's pretty light. Like it was me and another guy. Uh, right now, he's not working on anything though. But I wanted to be a Web3 consulting firm that was pretty bespoke for NFT projects. Ultimately, with the goal of moving into like, you know, bigger corporate type work. That's how I ended up talking to Accenture. But yeah, I mean, I started to, I guess where the story ended of me entering NFTs and then, you know, getting kind of big through D-Gods, I started to get a lot of people messaging me and like asking me for advice. And there wasn't a lot of people doing advisory. There wasn't like a lot of people that even knew how to build and launch projects. So I just kind of like did a lot of what would resemble like consulting and advisory work. Uh, and so I tried to formalize it with like a very small scale sole proprietorship business and a website that's just designed to get calls. And I put it up and I didn't really know I was going to get calls or like I didn't have anything in mind. But I started getting a ton of calls. Like I got calls from big companies, too, that were looking at crypto. Like I think I can say it. like I talked to Atari. Uh, I talked to Carvana. Like I talked to these weird companies that were like, not weird companies, great companies that were like looking into crypto in different ways. But yeah, what do I do? The work I've done, it's on the website. The client list isn't updated. There's three that are like about to be launched. But in this environment, I don't know if we're going to launch them or when. Uh, I won't say what they are. But yeah, I've done consulting and advisory work primarily for NFT businesses. Uh, and I think like the play long term would be do you know larger scale work, much bigger scope at a corporate level. Because I think NFT and Web3 technology is going to kind of permeate every industry and process on earth given enough time. It, maybe no one knows it yet. No, I love that. And the, you know, the reason I wanted to ask you is because, you know, we, you know, internally, you know, Jason and I kind of always talk about, you know, how, how everyone, you know, a lot of people want to get into Web3, but they're very unsure of how to do so. And I think you're a great example of using skills that you've kind of sharpened throughout your, you know, your Web2 life and have brought them into Web3 to be beneficial. And I think that's that's a very good thing. And it just 
important for people to understand. We have a lot of skills that we can bring into this space and that are very needed in this space that aren't always on the development and tech side of things. So, you know, we're a new space. So a lot of outside skills that uh, people have from, you know, their previous careers can absolutely be beneficial and provide an avenue for yourself and, and for others as well. So I appreciate you, you know, mentioning that for us. Yeah, that's, so, that's a really important point. Maybe I'll just highlight, but I'm in no way adept. Right? I'm, I'm not even technical at all. I didn't want to go to Seoul. Part of the reason was because I didn't want to have to learn a new chain and how it works and download a new wallet. But, you know, even I've found a way to get involved in Web3 and it's been pretty easy with a consulting background. And most people in the space would call me a boomer, like, because I'm 37. And so there's all types of ways to get involved. Like, it's really a new economy. It's just jurisdictionless and decentralized. All types of jobs are needed long term. No, abs- absolutely. All, jo- all types of jobs are needed. And, and I think if you, you feel like you have something to offer this space, but you don't know how to do it, just, just do it, honestly. Just you know, kind of jump into it and you'll, you'll find your way along the way. Obviously, you want to do some research. You want to know what you're talking about. But I think it's important to just get up and get started. That's kind of our, our biggest hurdle sometimes. You know, if anyone has, uh, we have about, you know, probably 20, 25 minutes, give or take, uh, left on this space. So if anyone has any questions, they want to come up on stage, ask any, uh, you know, questions to, to Kook or, you know, Mudang or Project 369, uh, please feel free. You want to talk about what's going on in the market, you have anything, you know, f- feel free to request and we'll bring you up. What's up, Mudang? Hey, this uh, question towards like Kook. Um, what's your thoughts on Polygon? Um, I hear a lot of people talking about Ethereum and Solana and Cardano, but not many people in spaces are talking about launching projects on Polygon. I was just curious of your opinion. Um, I love Polygon. I think that, like, I mean, I don't know if they're going to, I don't know if they're going to be huge or they're going to win, or I think there's room for all these scaling solutions, but I forget how many they have now. You have to go on the website, but. Like they have a side chain, they have a layer two, they have like all these different permutations of each and all these different ways to use Polygon. Again, I'm not a dev, but I know they have like seven or eight products. They're one of the leaders in scaling solutions. And so I really like them. I think for like, you know, for owner operated businesses, I'll call them small scale projects. Maybe Polygon doesn't make sense because the hardcore like individual buyers in the NFT space aren't going to go into a project on Polygon. Like, you know, if I'm supposed to be an influencer, I don't think I can influence anyone to go buy something on Polygon because the types of buyers that are following me aren't like interested in doing that. But, you know, Polygon just won Starbucks and that's amazing. Like, so Polygon will be one of the first chains that's in the hands of every G8 normie. They're all going to get tricked into using it. They're all going to engage with Web3 tech. They're all going to pass around NFTs without really knowing what they're doing. And that's pretty amazing. So, I got to like tip my hat to Polygon. I love them. But it sounds like the type of project you're you're going to build or you know you're working on or, or about to launch, I wouldn't say Polygon's the choice if that makes sense. That's how I feel. Uh, definitely makes sense. Um cheers for your answer and feedback. Hey, so we have uh, someone on the stage, Nanaimo Trader. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, you have a question for us? Yeah, it's uh, Nanaimo Trader. Thanks, guys, for taking my uh, question. I feel like I should help uh, Kook here. Learn I'm from how to Vancouver trade. originally. I'm from Vancouver, Nanaimo, right? Canada? Yeah, Sorry yeah. To interrupt. Yeah, let's no go. No worries. 
I, bro, I look out across the view and I surf over in Tofino. So, you oh, know, bro, I, was I just... lived in Tofino. I lived in I... Tofino for a year during COVID and I moved to I... Portugal to surf. It's not crypto. The reason I moved here is surfing. Dude, I love it. I was just in Portugal. We spent a month over there, my wife and I. So, yeah, we should we should uh, catch up. I followed you on Twitter and uh, it would be cool to catch up with you. I'll teach you how to trade and share me some NFT wisdom. But my question, well, first off, let me make a quick comment here on the markets because it's nuts. You can only control so much, guys. And it, you should take the time to write down those things you can truly control in your accounts and in your life. And then just focus on that. You can't control these other world events that are just going nuts. But you can't control your risk. You can't control where you keep your coins, how much you invest, what your long-term plan is. So think about that. Just wanted to leave that with the audience. My question, though, is what are some of the common things you see as mistakes that people do when they're first starting out in an NFT project, when they're first starting to launch something like, is, is there things that just make you cringe, man? Like you're just like, what the hell are they doing? What were they thinking? Like that kind of stuff. What, like for those of us that might want to start something, what would you, what would you tell us? Oh man, this is a complicated answer. Um, good. Uh, yeah. I would say <laughs> I, I'll try to do a good job with this, but I guess the first thing I'll say is that the answer to that question changes at light speed like the speed at which metas change and what's like in vogue and you know, what's not cool. Something in NFTs that's cool one week is not cool. Like the next week. And it's like a red flag, you know, the, from the way projects launch the type of mints they do wallet collection processes to like macro stuff about how they position themselves. Um, so I would say all of that said, that means the answer there's, there's a million things I could go on forever. Uh, but the advice I would give to somebody considering launching a product or brand or technology like through web three it's back to the last thing i talked about i guess is you should understand what your audience is and like the type of product you have and what you're trying to do and pick a chain with an audience that makes sense like i think any type of brand soul whatever don't look at it cardano i think whatever go to eat if it's a big institutional type product and you're selling b2b you know, these side chains make sense and you don't necessarily have to be as ingrained in Web3 culture. But if you're selling like a B2C product of some kind and you're going to try to go like direct to consumer, you have to be prepared for like this interaction layer I talked about. Like you have to be really focused on what the community wants. And I think you have to do the research and like establish a presence. Like you can't go to this market and say, hey, we have a business. People are going to say, who are you? I've never seen you before. Who's on your team? I don't know these people. It's maturing beyond that, maybe, but you still need the cred. Like, you have to be a part of the industry, I think. So, I would try to establish yourself and learn and build a presence and understand the market and like the qualitative factors that surround it. Cause that's the most complicated thing and it's what changes the quickest. So, get involved is the short answer. Just get involved before you launch a business. Okay, sweet. Thanks. And uh, does it matter much what chain you're on as long as it's a solid chain? Yeah, I think it matters a lot now. I would love to see a world where it doesn't, where you can pick the best chain for the product. But like the fact is, your business won't be successful if you don't attract buyers. And there's chains that buyers aren't on right now. And there's chains that buyers are leaving. And there's chains that are scary to potential new buyers. So yeah, I think ETH and all ETH-related things are the only choice right now, if you're me. Unless, I mean, what could happen overnight? Like, Soul could go up 200% on some crazy news that aliens said it's their chain of choice. Like, it's crazier every day. I don't know. <laughs> but right now, it looks like ETH to me, man. 
All right, cool. Hey, thanks, man. Uh, I'd love to stay in touch with you. Shoot me a DM if you get a chance. I'll uh, I'll just step off to the side, but a shout out to Real Vision for hosting these. Thanks again, guys. It's been crazy 48 hours. Yeah, nice to talk to you, man. Shout out to yeah. Nemo. Yeah, for sure, bro. Cheers. And I kind of want to expand upon uh, what he raised of what change should you pick. It really kind of depends on what kind of project you're trying to develop. Um, if you're trying to develop a imagery project, uh, something along the lines of Board Ape Yacht Club, where you're not planning on uh, lots of uh, small volume, um, Ethereum is probably the chain that you want to go towards. If you're planning to do something where you're going to involve a lot of small volume, multiple transactions, you'd probably be better off aiming towards something along the lines of Polygon or Cardano at the moment. But as Kirk says, you really don't know where the market's going to go, and Ethereum seems to be the safest bet at the moment. I should say, because I, I like took it to be implied, but I guess it wouldn't be. When I say Ethereum, I mean Ethereum at all, like all the scaling solutions. Uh, yeah, I'm super bullish on Arbitrum. Like I like Polygon for certain uses. Um, so yeah, not just like ETH L1. And I think the L1 or the L2 process has to get a lot better. No one wants to bridge, but I think that'll change quick. So yeah, I, I like scaling solutions in addition to ETH. I think you can do games on Nova. Um, it's just it, other alternative L1s is where I'm skeptical right now. 100% agree. <laughs> And, you know, what do you I, – I just want to throw this out there. What do, what do we think of BNB? Do we think that that's going to have some, some, new, uh, some new hype coming along? What do, what do we think is going to happen with the, with the whole BNB chain or NF, the, eco, the NFT ecosystem on BNB, I should, I should say? Um, me and Kaikoro have a bit of experience um, looking at projects on BNB. A long story short is it's extremely centralized on the NFT market. Um, either you get Binance to back you or you're probably not going to sell out. And the only things that were selling out were the shit coins that released NFTs. Um, at least that's what we saw. Yeah, I, I had some experience, uh, you know, in a couple of projects talking to Binance. And I know a little bit about that environment, but I share the same thought. You know, them buying FTX, like, it's going to be a big centralized playground. Maybe certain businesses will launch there. Maybe certain like esports stuff, and they'll do well in certain markets. Um, I'm a way bigger proponent of the ETH environment. Like, I want the decentralized economy. Yeah, absolutely. We're you know this that that's kind of the ethos of 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 Web three. So I I agree with that. There. Hey, Dust. Well, welcome welcome on stage. We have a question for us. Hey, yeah, I just had a quick question. Um, in terms of talking about layer ones, I was just wondering what your guys' thoughts were on uh, near protocol, and if you if you have any thoughts, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I can go first. I don't know too much about the technology. Um, I know there was a time when near was the place to go from Seoul, and a lot of people that were trading a lot of volume on Seoul went to near, and there was projects launching there, and I knew other influencer guys that were like working with projects on near i didn't do it again because like i always held this belief that eth would be this premium asset chain and i i thought previously soul would have a place for everything else that was high volume like high transaction games this kind of thing it was before some of the l2 progress that's happened but uh yeah i was like i didn't see a need for it um 
I get there, maybe there's a technical reason, uh, but I didn't get too deep into it. I didn't move over there. I didn't, I didn't work with anyone. I wasn't like, I just saw these L1 springing up and it was another one of them. Um, the inherent tool issue that you have with uh, protocols like Nia and Flow, um, a lot of their blockchain technology is priority. So what will end up happening if they can't secure updates on the chain, um, they'll have to end up making their own um, effectively uh, protocol um, software, which is a bit of a risky move. Um, that's pretty much what set Cardano back a long time was them having to develop their own software. Uh, Aptos has bought a lot of the priority software that um, Nair and Flow use. Um, so you're going to see a bit of an awkward part in the market at the moment where if Aptos manages to survive, um, they've got a lot of the software infrastructure that Flow and Nair uses, and it's going to be very hard to figure out which of those three products is going to survive. Um, I, guess... I honestly don't know. Okay, so I like your technical like explanation. And I, the way someone explained near to me was that Ethereum is a defined set of land like Manhattan, the island, and you can build skyscrapers to fix it, which are layer twos. But on Aptos, you can print new land. So I like analogies, and that was simple to understand. But, you know, playing devil's advocate, with scaling solutions existing on Ethereum, and they're getting better all the time, is there really a need, like a practical, technical business need to use another blockchain? And I strongly believe that like Ethereum has the best security. They have the best developers, the retail experience, like the mass consumer experience. They can't even, it's not going to happen until nobody knows they're interacting with the chain anyways. Like nobody's using MetaMask. All this stuff's going to go away and be packaged in a friendly way to consumers. They're going to be chain agnostic and they don't care about decentralization either. So I look at this stuff and I just say, why do we need these L1s? Like, I get it. It's a bit better. It's a bit faster, whatever. There's still be a global standard and ETH is way ahead and they can engineer themselves into the global standard. They always have that capability. Um, personal opinion, hot take. I don't see much need for uh, blockchains like Solana um, and those kind of type of protocols. If they're going to be highly centralized anyway, why not use something like the Facebook marketplace? Um, the TPS on that is in the millions per second. So that's kind of the line that I think in the sand of if you want something centralized. Um, I think there's always a want for decentralized processes. And I see a lot at the moment of the this Ethereum decision-making processes that they're sacrificing decentralization um, for TPS. And that kind of scares me a little bit. Um, I'm curious of when they're going to draw the line in the sand of uh, how much um, centralization is enough. Yeah, they could just turn into like the super fed, I guess. Is that the doomsday scenario you're, you're telegraphing? Yeah, I, like I don't the know. Federal Reserve, you know, like if, <laughs> they've got well, a lot of people small, on there. Sorry. Well, you know, like fast forward 10 years, if we get the outcome we think or, or the outcome we want, we're both crypto guys and there's a shadowy cabal that controls the Ethereum economy, like, that would be no good, you know? Well, we're currently in a state at the moment where 60% of the proof-of-stake node operators are all centralized exchanges, um, and 51% or more of the transactions on the chain have to go through the um, uh, World Economic Forum protocols at the moment. So I think we're already there. 
Um, the question being is what actually happens in a world where they're monitoring things that they're not happy with? Do they actually have the power to change anything or can they just sit there complaining about it? That's kind of where my worry is. Yeah, I guess my, you know, I go back to my original like stance on this type of thing is that this is so high level. Like if you look at money, the people that use money, (laughs) they don't know who Jerome Powell is. You know, they're not reading the Fed minutes. You're reading the Fed minutes um, and opining on them. But most people are just going to use money. And actually, this is a terrible analogy. I got to stop because I don't think that Ethereum or any other coin will replace money. That's not my vision of crypto. I think that the technology will lead to products that are used by everybody, which will pump value into the chain. But the value will be in the form of GameFi or, you know, other products that the average person would use. Um, the people that are here for DeFi, like the people that are here for decentralization and to get like really in the weeds on technical details and philosophy, uh, they're already here. So yeah, I look at it like I agree with you, like this is a doomsday outcome. But I, I got to say, I, don't, I hope it doesn't happen and I got to participate anyways. And the average user who's going to add value, like contribute money to the chain, they won't care or no. Yeah, Kook, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. agree. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that as well. And, you know, one of, I look at, at what Reddit has done, right? I think the majority of people on Reddit don't even consider what they're buying or what they have in their wallets as even NFTs. And what Reddit, I think, did so well is they built a product on top of what they're known for and what people go to their website every day to use. So I, I, I completely agree with you. Actually, this is really, I'll be quick because I'm talking a lot, but Reddit, this was beautiful, man. And this will tell you all you need to know about this market and how to position it to normies, which for non-crypto natives in the audience, that means normal people, of which there are very few in crypto. Um, So what does Reddit do? They want to sell NFTs. Uh, Centralization aside, it's its own centralized marketplace. That's okay. But in popular, like in the world right now, the term NFT elicits a trauma response basically the average person's heard about like an insane wealth creation event and then a wealth destruction event it's like the south sea company or like tulips and so everybody's scared of them it's a bad word reddit they didn't use the n the f or the t they called them digital collectibles secured by blockchain technology and that's really telling because like reddit's a big company they kind of change at least in one way like the way people interact on the internet and like subcultures and echo chambers and all this different stuff they're going to go public and they're going to be huge for like at least a decade um yeah so smart guys decided to do that or or women but you know smart people decided to position that way that's really telling to me um just to add to what cook was saying a little earlier and when nana was talking to him uh like literally how you were saying Reddit <clears throat> changed the name. <clears throat> Sorry. How Reddit changed the name. And you said earlier, oh, hey, what's the alpha? What? How do you get into NFT- NFTs? And you shared, hey, you just get involved because it, it's changing so continuously. And with the change constantly occurring, what was working and then what is revealed about what was working is now not going to work. It's like, hey, that worked. Now, if people are doing that, same thing, it's a huge red flag. 
So what is bullish is bearish. What's bearish is bullish. And it's just flip-flopping so fast. What's the meta? What's going on? And uh, Kook already, you know, I'm just mirroring exactly what Kook said. And as founders, like it's been like coming over to what we've done. We, we're part of that roller coaster. We're involved in it. And it's not just a self thing. This isn't just a self shill. Everyone's fucking involved in this shit if they're involved in NFTs, in you know, digital, whatever, whatever the hell you want to call it, want to change the name, you know, rinse, wash. It's just a rinse, wash, repeat. It's the same F in name. And if you, it's like, but it's still the same thing. Yeah. It's funny. Like I love to hear from a founder and look how passionate and excited he is about it. Like it's changing. What's cool is not cool tomorrow. And you know, it might be cool again in three days. You, you really have to be involved. Just wanted to share uh, a book I'm reading. I actually heard about it from Meltem Demers. But if you look up uh, the book called Alchemy by Rory Sutherland, he's like an ad guy and he had a bunch of uh, pretty famous TED Talks. But he talks about exactly this thing, you know, just changing, changing the name of something. And that's how you get people to, you know, buy into something and you change their perspective on things uh, for any founders or, or marketers or i think that's a great book to check out hey brad what's up what you got for us hey guys uh thank you so much for your um comments today i'm um, as a guy who has to have 25 years in the financial markets um, I'm just really interested to hear your opinion on, I'm looking at my screen right now and I'm looking at Bitcoin down 90%, Ethereum down 28%, uh, Cardona down 15%, uh, Solana down 10%. And obviously um, what we've seen with Binance and the uh, FTX situation more recently, how can you be confident in terms of, um, time projects to these coins that clearly um, are under consideration in terms of their asset backing and um, what is actually happening in the crypto space in the macro world. Hand back to you. Do you want me to answer first? Goldman? Yeah, 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 go ahead. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think that the question highlights like how, you know, a legacy market participant or like a, you know, a rational person, a rational investor would look at this market. Um, I, I don't position those chains to any projects. Uh, I, I think I said that at the beginning, like I would look to ETH and scaling solutions because I don't know what's going to happen with a lot of those chains. And I don't know that I, I sound super bearish, right? I, I got to The asterisk is I'm not the technical guy, but you know, unless there's a technical reason, like a business product reason that those chains should exist as a place to like become an economy, I think they'll have a hard time. Uh, I mean, I think if you're looking for a super high torque in investment right now, like, a, you know, one of these like coins that is down 95% that used to be 100 billion, it doesn't look so bad, like not financial advice, but um, yeah, it's a high risk bet. I, I can't think of a higher one right now. Uh, and I don't think somebody should be bringing a business to alternative chains at all. Um, in terms of a personal take, uh, if you're talking about funds and so on and securing assets, 
you've got companies like OK Beers where they decided to sell all their Solana at the top of the market when they minted out. Um, so they've got a still a significant amount of capital. Um, but I agree with you. You've got projects that are backing their project itself with the underlining asset, uh, which is pretty much what's gone wrong in almost every single industry. Um, but yeah, there's different strategies of how you actually minimize that. The extreme end is to sell everything, keep it into fiat. There's middle ground approaches of only investing back into the coin, what you're willing to use. There's no like perfect answer. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with all of that. And I think another, another thing to kind of keep in mind, and this, you know, kind of brings me back to the 0% royalty to 0% royalty talk is when a lot of that was going on, one of the, the main, you know, conversations in which I think was actually a good conversation to come out of it is that projects shouldn't be relying on, you know, their royalties or being tied to their chain. They should be looking for other revenue streams potentially outside of Web3 so they aren't just beholden to what's going on, you know, uh, in, in a certain chain or certain drama or, you know, certain market conditions. Yeah, uh, so the, the only other thing I would say to that is... I'm sitting here in front of my screen and Ethereum's down 28% today. And that's one of the major key blocks of cryptocurrencies that is well being referred to on this call as a really good protocol. And yet it's down 28% today. Yeah, I mean, I can give my take on that too. Uh, I think what you're seeing is like in recent years, a lot of institutional money's flowed into this stuff, at least like high spec institutional money. It doesn't take a lot to move this market because it's really small. The total market cap of crypto is like, I don't know, but it's got to be under a trillion now, um, which is small. And so I think what you're seeing here is like just mass capital flight over what's happening in the industry. Like the shenanigans between Binance and FTX the last couple of days, now Binance is dumping the coin. Like, Sam lost 96% of his net worth today, like billions and billions. So it's, it's the wild west. Like it's, there's no regulatory bodies, the regulatory bodies that try to step in, they don't understand it. They get circumvented. Uh, For me, I try to separate the noise in the environment from the potential of the technology. I mean, maybe that's just my fancy way of saying I'm a gambler and, you know, I'll continue to participate anyways. But I think regulation at one stage or another has to get cleaned up, whether it comes in or it doesn't or however it happens. I still think the technology is going to be very important in the future. And so I'm not going to, like, leave the space and come back in when it's cleaned up. I think it'll be more fun to be involved throughout. So I I completely appreciate that comment and I completely endorse it. But. Um, one of the things I'm struggling with is why is Ethereum of 28% that has nothing to do with FTT or FTX or um, the shenanigans that have gone on the last 48 hours? Why is Ethereum down? Oh, I'm trying to say that the stuff between Binance and FTX is big enough that it scares the entire crypto environment and the market is so small, prices get moved around a lot. I'm happy, to tackle on a, I'm happy to tackle on to the further answering of that question. Yeah, please um, do. It's, it's not just um, crypto markets as well. Like the majority of tech stocks are down 80%. Uh, 
and things are falling in general. Um, however, in the case of like Ethereum being down, if you actually look at the FTX situation, a lot of their asset management wasn't just the FTT token. Um, the FTT token was around about, I think, 30% of their yep. assets backing their um, loans. I've looked into that. Um, as well as... Um, as well as uh, Solana backing their tokens. Um, the majority of the rest of it was made up through stable coins and Ethereum. So a lot of the suffering is going to affect the whole market. If you look at what FTX and FTT were actually doing, they were lending out and borrowing money against assets that were backed by their own assets. It's the same situation as things like Luna. Um, it just hasn't had the same outcome yet. Yeah, I appreciate that, and I agree with you. Can I jump in and say something quickly? Just to answer that question. If you're on the institutional side and this news comes out, you get out. Like, you don't care. Your job is to minimize risk and get out of there. And I think that's what you're seeing has happened the last couple of days. Once the news hit, with any savvy, anybody with you know millions on the line doesn't care. Right now, it's all about just trying to protect your capital. You don't care about trying to make money in this market you're just trying to protect your capital if you're on the institutional side and i think that's something that you know the retail don't get is they like you know you they don't people don't care there's like this is hit we know there's fraud most likely going on here there's uh if it's not it's damn close get out close do whatever you can to, to not have exposure or at, at least reduce your exposure and for sure fucking hedge so that's a lot of what you're seeing happen, and I, I believe that's that contagion effect that's that's carried over the last couple of days, which is why ETH is down so much, along with many others. However, what? that doesn't change. Oh, you can go ahead. I'll, I'll just follow up that. That's a good point that's being made, because the same thing happened in the financial markets crisis. That happened the GFC. So we completely understand the contagion around call margins, etc. that are going on the market. So completely agree with that. But it, it still is a overhang in terms of the entire crypto market. So um, I want to go sorry. to to oh. yeah. So I want to go to Kokoro, and then I think Kook had his hand up, and then I want to go to Rudis, and then Marcus uh, to finish this off. Yeah. Um. Sorry about that, Nana. I. Should have raised my hand. I did not mean to speak while you were speaking. Um, I <laughs> just to do an example, one specific example, which I don't really care for, is when the lawsuit happened. Right when XRP happened, it didn't matter how confident that specific investor was when they're like, "We're going to win this case," or "This is don't worry." It doesn't matter how confident you are or someone is the rest of everyone else is going to be emotional. They're not going to be confident. So, you know, Kook over here is Ethereum, rightfully so. If you look at the longevity of Ethereum, it's up over a thousand percent. When you look at the graph of it being down today, percentage-wise, uh, I'm not attacking you. I'm just saying they're seeing that. But that's, that's when you need to have the mindset of, shit, this is a good buying sign. Not, not financial advice, not that. I'm saying... Like, he's, he's bullish on it. He's looking long-term wise. Um, but the rest of them, you can hold in it. You can hold on and be and believe in it. But they're going to be emotional. And then 
you could possibly be smart knowing that the rest of the people are going to be emotional, sell it and know you're bullish on it and pick it back up. So it's, it's, it's unfortunate, uh, stupid and unreal that you do have to actually take into consideration of the emotions of your peers, because ultimately everything is derived from the belief that something has value from a collective mindset of individuals. Yeah, so I want to go to to Rudas next, and then uh, Marcus after Rudas. Hey guys, uh, thanks for the opportunity to speak. Um, so I just wanted to draw attention to the fact that <clears throat> when we have big liquidity events like this, um, just the fact of more tether being pulled off exchanges uh, and converted to cash or whatnot is enough for institutional investors, whales, whatever you want to call it, to lose confidence in something like Ethereum. So although I heard a speaker say, oh, well, it's not like anything happened to Ethereum today, uh, it, it actually, something did happen to Ethereum, right? So because this happened, stable coins are being taken down. And I actually saw that Circle uh, had invested over $400 million into FTX which is a sizable chunk of money. And Circle, for anyone who doesn't know, is who uh, owns USDC. So the, the blockchain and crypto market is heavily intertwined. So any large event will affect every single coin uh, in a lot of ways than you, than you may know. And I think what we're learning more than anything is how over-leveraged the whole industry is as a whole off the last bull run that we just went on. Um, so I just wanted to kind of draw those connections and those dots for everybody of looking at the underlying parent companies like Circle, FTX, Binance, and, you know, all media research and how these are all really actually pulling the strings on the market. And that's why people are either gaining or losing confidence. Absolutely. I appreciate you bringing up that point. I think it ties in nicely to, you know, what Kook was mentioning before, how a lot of these are, are kind of more intertwined uh, than than may you know seem as well. They're, they're, we're, we're very tied together in this space. So I want to go to Marcus next, and then I'm going to go to Medang. Hi, everyone. Thank you for the opportunity for, for letting me speak here. Um, so I've been in the, the crypto space for about 12 years now um, and currently run a boutique blockchain advisory. And my experience of what the market, I mean, I mean I've been here through Mount Gox and all of these other similar events to, to what's going on today. And I feel like my or my experience of what's been going on for the past yeah, 10, 11, 12 years in the crypto space is that there's still a significant focus on exchanges, centralized exchanges, which is reasonable considering, you know, fiat on ramping and off ramping, etc. But also on the fact that crypto is seen more as a way to gain a return on investment rather than what it was originally envisioned to to you know provide utility um, in, in some cases. Um, or, or in the case of Bitcoin, it would be as a means of exchange or if it's Ethereum or whatever. I, I, my experience and my colleague's experience is that these, this, 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 this sentiment that crypto is, is a way to not just get rich quick, but to invest money, gain an appreciation on the asset that you hold and then sell in the future, that still hasn't moved towards uh, adoption in terms of providing utility. And what I wanted to ask here and, 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 and see what, what, other, what you guys thought, or your guys' thoughts were, is how do you see this shift happening after, in the wake of a scandal like this with FTX? And more importantly, how do you see the adoption of crypto moving forward in terms of, 
yeah, retail usage, peer-to-peer transactions, whatever. It's that that you know that dimension. Um, so yeah. Sweet. Um, I kind of want to just quickly tackle all the point brought up previously. We're hyper-fixated on the market in the last like two years. We aren't really talking about taking a bigger picture out and zooming in. Um, if we actually look at like the historics, Bitcoin's still got another like three or four K to fall to where it actually falls to where it's supposed to in the spare market. Um, same with Ethereum, same with ADA. We're looking at a, should be looking at a 750 Ethereum and a 20 cents ADA if we were to follow like historic market moves. Um, it just happens to be that these situations are accelerating that process. Now, in terms of adoption, um, honest opinion, I don't really know. A lot of crypto projects are overvalued on the prospect of them being inevitably successful. Um, but I don't know if that inevitability is guaranteed. Yeah, you know, I think it, uh, it, it speaks to what Kook was uh, saying before earlier in our conversation. I think a lot of the adoption is going to come on the technology side of things and using that technology uh, to maybe Brit, you know, I know that's a almost a bad word at this point, but to bridge the gap between the web two and web three. But ultimately, I think it is that technology that people find that they can see like, hey, this does make my life easier. This is a lot easier, faster to use. I think that is going to, you know, essentially be our way to to mass adoption uh, and just people, especially on the retail side of things, uh, coming on board in this space. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, I think people will find uses for the technology to solve existing problems. But I do think, you know, there's going to be that quote unquote killer app, right? Some innovator, some creator is going to figure out a new way to do this that just kind of changed the whole dynamic. Uh, it's a new tool. It's a new technology. We don't know exactly what it can do as yet. And, you know, there are a lot of creative, smart people pouring into the industry and uh, cliche, but there's going to be a killer app. That's at least my opinion. There's also the market share perspective. If you can get transaction costs to less than one and a half percent, you'll end up having the market make a move. Um, you've got a lot of uh, X like retail like uh, companies where they're charging like five to ten percent for transactions. If the crypto uh, space can actually get to a sustainable model where the transaction fees are less than like one percent of the transaction size, um, I think you'll just see automatic adoption from there. Yeah, I, th- I think from from at least my my perspective my, and from what my experience has told me is that I think most of the adoption is, I, I actually think most of the adoption is going to come from um, the yeah as, as as you said gold um, gold members that the the technical side um, eliminating borders in terms of monetary transactions uh, and I think a lot of that is actually going to come from the third world as well um, especially with the adopt with the with the recent launches of layer two technologies and others. Um, I, I really do think the third world is actually the key to crypto adoption, and I don't think it's going to start significantly in the West. That's a great point, actually. And, and I do think that we can see a lot more practical uses uh, coming out of the third world, like, you know, uh, I de- you know, storing your identity on the blockchain and, you know, having control of that, storing, you know, health records, educational records, uh, what Cardano is doing with World Mobile. I think, yeah, I can, I can definitely see a lot of those use cases 
really, you know, being born in, you know, kind of the third world or developing nations, and then, you know, kind of making their way and, you know, being, I guess, improved upon, if you will, as they gain, uh, you know, mass adoption or more people coming on board. I, I, I really like that you mentioned that, Marcus. What's up, Kokoro? Um, yeah, there was just a few good points I wanted to reiterate on that I really liked. Um, of someone saying, like a killer app, things you know, things are going to trans, things will transition like over in one day, just as we've seen, um, just recently, and um, it's kind of funny and ironic, but I, I, I don't necessarily want to say use the word funny, just lack of what else to say. But what ultimately, like they say, what the ultimate killer of FTT was FTX, or ultimate killer of Solana was FT. You know, I mean, it's just ironic because they're like, oh well. This one will flip it. This one will take it over. And it's, it's just you're basically seeing things collapse within themselves because of like what has been shared and said is over leveraging and over and doing this stuff within their own project, but then also uh, giving promises and this hope of things like Mudang was was saying. And we're all here because we are hopeful that uh, crypto is going to have an answer to solve a lot of real-world real problems. And once those, once we can actually see a deliverance on a lot of the promises and more so than promises themselves, we're going to see a huge shift. Um, so it's the this bull, last bull run was like the promising bull run. This next bull run is probably going to be the deliverance bull run. One that where you're going to see a lot of delivering of uh of actual use cases awesome so i think uh i think that's actually a great great ending point and leaves us with uh with a little bit of optimism you know in this kind of bleak week that we've been seeing so yeah thanks for for leaving us with that point kokoro so i want to thank everyone in the audience for attending our space you guys are awesome we do these every wednesday 12.30 p.m. EST. I want to thank all of our speakers, Kokoro, Mudang, uh, for coming on and speaking about the project. And I want to thank Kook as well for coming on and just, you know, sharing his wisdom and insight on this space. I think he, you know, brought up some great points about the cultural aspect of NFTs, the technological aspect of it, and just, you know, his journey in the space, which I think a lot of us can, can relate to. Uh, so I really appreciate all of you for joining. Uh, guys, make sure you follow Kook tune in he's he's on spaces talking you can learn from his shit posting engage with it uh follow project 369 as well they're doing some very interesting things on cardano and yeah guys we appreciate you and we'll uh we'll see you uh next week thanks everyone bye thanks, thanks, bye. thanks for having me man bye thanks everyone much love much love <laughs>